Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. thrilled for our conversation today with American Express and its Senior Vice President of Corporate Responsibility, Tim McClyman. He's also President of the American Express Foundation. Now, why? For those of you who study the history of companies engaging with social issues, American Express has been called the founder of the modern-day cause marketing movement. In fact, The seminal campaign that launched that movement, the Statue of Liberty Restoration Project, was truly a first of its kind. At the time in the early 80s, the CEO of American Express turned to his head of marketing, a genius named Jerry Welch, and he said, we need something that's going to catch the attention of the public and of our employees. Indeed, American Express focuses on the three C's. It's colleagues, their employees, it's customers, and it's communities. So Jerry Welsh was thinking, what could he come up with that was really breakthrough? Well, one day at lunch down in the financial district, he was dreaming about what could he do? And he turned his head towards the waterfront, and there he saw an gleaming, bright, shiny, sunny day, the Statue of Liberty. And boom, he's a great connection maker and the idea formed in his head. He had read a recent article about the need to restore the Statue of Liberty. And there became the first major cause marketing event of our modern time. Use the American Express card and a penny or two from that purchase goes to the Statue of Liberty Restoration. Well, it was a smashing success. Over $1.7 million raised with a 28% increase in the use of the card. Statue of Liberty Restoration was just one of the many, many outstanding and long-standing and smart commitments that American Express has made to its colleagues, its customers, and society. So follow us on this fascinating conversation today with Tim. So welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me, Carol. You know, you've been at American Express for a decade and a half, and a lot has changed in corporate responsibility, and even now it's called purpose. So I would love for you to just talk a little bit about 
what was it like when you began? And what's truly, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, but what truly stands out to you in the evolution of the company's commitment to society? Well, thank you for those kind words, uh, Carol. And thank you for that interesting story about the Statue of Liberty that that obviously was before my time uh, at American Express. But actually, uh, corporate responsibility at American Express goes back way before the Statue of Liberty. Uh, I would say that it started when the company was founded in 1850 as a parcel delivery service. So think, you know, Pony Express, uh, but with parcels. Uh, and people had to trust American Express to deliver those parcels to uh, their friends or their colleagues all across the country. Um, and, uh, you know, the connection to the Statue of Liberty uh, also goes back a long time because uh, not only do we make our first grant uh, as a company in 1862 to support uh, victims of fire in Boston, but our first employee giving campaign was to help build the pedestal for the Statue of Liberty in 1885. Uh, so we asked uh, employees to donate money uh, toward that cause. Uh, it was our first employee giving campaign. Uh, and so that was 100 years uh, before the Statue of Liberty cause uh, marketing campaign uh, that you note. So we have had a long history uh, as a company, uh, in engaging with our communities, serving uh, our communities, uh, and, and certainly things have changed over the years. We're not a parcel delivering company, company anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, we created our foundation. American Express Foundation was created in 1954, which was four years before the first American Express card, which is how we are mostly known uh, now as a company. Um, so fast forward a little bit to uh, the last 15 years. You know, lots has changed uh, in the past uh, 15 years. Uh, you know, I think that we've gone from uh, focusing on uh, philanthropy and how it, it can support uh, communities to really how do we operate as a business? Uh, how do we integrate our responsibility into the business? And, and now there's a concept called environmental social governance work or ESG work and, and ESG work, which is primarily driven by investor groups, uh, really takes a look at how the company is operating from an environmental, a social, a governance uh, perspective, uh, how it is integrating uh, those uh, activities into their business. And so now, you know, my job has morphed from being primarily focused on uh, philanthropy, making grants to nonprofit organizations and engaging our employees or what we call our colleagues uh, in community work uh, around the world to now it's really, you know, focusing on what is the ESG strategy and how is that integrated across the business? And then how does philanthropy and, you know, employee engagement and our diversity and inclusion work and our work with suppliers and the way that we're governed uh, and how we operate uh, environmentally, how is that all integrated together uh, in the, the operations of the business? So, so I'm sure that's a fascinating journey. And I would love to talk about the key inflection points and, you know, how what was happening that had it moved from philanthropy and employee or colleague engagement to truly integrate it into the business. But I want to start with what was it like when you got that job? 
you know, 15 years ago and American Express, the card, fabulous marketing, a great deep conscience. How did you feel when you got that job? Well, it was great. Uh, it was really terrific. I was very happy to have uh, been hired in, into the position. But I had been at AT&T uh, doing similar work for, for 15 years. Uh, before that, I had also uh, worked as a lawyer uh, working with nonprofit organizations. I'd worked for the government uh, at the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, and I had uh, also run a nonprofit um, organization. So I have a lot of experience uh, in both the corporate, uh, nonprofit, and legal government uh, worlds before coming to American Express. And so while it was big, it wasn't nearly as big as AT&T. Uh, AT&T was many multiples uh, larger than American Express. But American Express has such a great culture such a great group of people who are uh, innovative and, and creative and committed not only to the company, but their uh, communities. And so it was an exciting time for me to come into an environment where uh, individuals really do make a huge difference uh, inside the company. And I was given license to uh, create programs and initiatives and, and move the position uh, forward, so I, I, I give a lot of uh, credit to the person who hired me, Tom Schick, uh, who was then head of our corporate affairs and communications department. Uh, Tom has since retired uh, from the company, but uh, he was the the person who hired me and gave me that license to uh, to innovate and to. Uh, excel and make an impact in the company. And, and I love that that comes from your DNA, because, you know, when the company talks about its vision you know, to provide the world's best customer experience every day, and it seems that it truly walks its talk. So let's talk a little bit about um, that at the heart of your corporate responsibility work is giving back to communities, but you just don't write grants. You focus. And I would love for you to share with your focus is developing leaders, um, preserving places, and serving the community. So can you talk about how did you get to the focus? And then how did you innovate? Because I always look at American Express as, and we're going to talk about Small Business Saturday, which I just adore. But Talk about how you structured what you were doing to make it powerful. Part of the evolution of uh, corporate responsibility uh, over the years has been uh, trying to be more strategic with philanthropy. So it's not just about writing a check to your favorite organization or the CEO's favorite organization. It's really about having uh, a strategy behind your philanthropy and making sure that that strategy intersects with the business interests of, of the company. So, uh, you know, let's start with community service or serving communities. So, you know, we started as a company uh, in the service business. Uh, service has been our middle name uh, from the beginning. Uh, we've always been there to serve our customers and to serve the community. And so having a, a philanthropic theme that's about community service or about uh, serving communities is really literally part of our DNA uh, as a company. And we, we thought that the best way to do that, and we have thought that the best way to do that for many, many years, 
uh, is to help uh, encourage our own colleagues to volunteer in communities and to help uh, citizens get engaged in their communities. And so we support nonprofits uh, to develop their own capacity to utilize volunteers uh, and, and to extend those opportunities to our colleagues uh, around the world. So that, that one was an easy one. It's been in existence really for many, many years, predates me. We are very committed to that. and Our employees are very committed to that, our colleagues. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. The company has over 65,000 colleagues around the globe. It ranks number 67 in the Fortune 500. It has over 198 billion in assets, 114 million cards in force, and it's number nine on Fortune's 100 best companies to work for. But they have other numbers they're very proud of. In terms of backing their colleagues, they have a 100% score on the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index since 2004. 91% of their colleagues who participated in their annual internal survey said they would recommend American Express as a great place to work. You'll hear today that these programs that are initiated and carried forward year over year over year come from an engaged and energized environment and culture that truly understands their core purpose. And we'll get to that in a moment. They have 20 weeks of gender neutral paid parental leave. And they ov- they offer over a thousand professional and personal development opportunities, backing their customers. They work with over 23,000 women entrepreneurs who have participated in their various workshops and their card members have donated almost $100 million to benefit charitable causes since 2010. They're also very, very proud of their net zero carbon emissions, and they're named to the 2019 CDP Climate A-List. They're also powered by 100% renewable energy in their operations since 2018, and they're committed to 100% responsible sourcing. I could go on and on with the numbers because the company, again, focuses in three areas, colleagues, customers, and communities. Let's return to our discussion with Tim. I know you have the Leadership Academy. And yes. so can you, because it sounds like you took a basic idea and then you've really evolved it. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, the second theme that we have uh, that, that you mentioned uh, is developing leaders. And, you know, again, American Express has always viewed itself as a leader, uh, as a, a, a leader in not only marketing, which you've mentioned, but a, a leader in the financial services world. Uh, before that, a leader in the, the travel uh, business uh, and, and the parcel delivery 
uh, business. So we've never been a follower. We've always wanted to be an innovator, a creator, um, a, a leader. And we spend a lot of time developing leaders inside our company. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, energy developing leaders. We call our managers leaders. Uh, we have been focused on this idea of leadership development for a long time. So it was fairly easy. It was a fairly easy uh, transition to focus on leaders in the community. So if we're interested in leadership uh, and we're interested in, in communities and in serving communities, we should be focused on developing leaders uh, in the community. And, and when we got into this, which was, was really my primary uh, accomplishment, I think, and American Express uh, was to to make that linkage and to get into this uh, concept of developing nonprofit leaders uh, and in particular emerging high potential leaders. So we we decided to focus on that segment, not at the CEO level, not at the board level, not at the student you know level, but really at the level of you know, let's look at high potential emerging leaders, young leaders, diverse uh, leaders, and give them the training uh, that they need to become the senior leaders and CEOs of these organizations. And so we started making grants in that area uh, 13, 14 years ago now, and uh, soon discovered that there wasn't really, there were a lot of great programs that were discipline specific. So they're environmental programs, education programs, you know, health programs, arts programs, but there were very, very few programs that were multidisciplinary in scope. So we started talking to the Center for Creative Leadership in North Carolina, which is one of the primary uh, leadership development organizations for companies. And uh, we started talking to them about developing a nonprofit practice and helping us develop uh, something that we ended up calling the American Express Leadership Academy. And uh, CCL has been our, our first and primary partner uh, in that effort, uh, which is now 12, 13 years old. We're now in 10 countries around the world. We have a number of, of partners like Common Purpose in London, uh, for instance, and the Thunderbird uh, School in uh, Phoenix, uh, Arizona. And they have helped us develop this week-long training program for a high potential nonprofit uh, leaders that's very intensive, uh, but that's focused on developing your own personal skills. And we provide uh, executive coaches to these individuals and provide them with training and business skills using our own senior leaders as teachers uh, of business skills. And, and over the years, have trained over 5,000. Uh, high potential emerging leaders through that program in uh, 10 or 11 countries. And now those people are becoming the CEOs and senior leaders of, of organizations. So there are a number of CEOs of nonprofits uh, that have gone through our training programs uh, who are uh, indebted in many ways to uh, the transformative experience they've had uh, with that Leadership Academy program. We now have 3,000 alumni that participate in alumni groups uh, and a LinkedIn channel. They, they now organize their own activities, uh, both at the global level and at the local level, including a, an annual summit uh, that we do of Leadership Academy alums. Uh, so this has really taken off. Uh, it really has has a, a life of its own uh, now, but I think is really uh, one of the most impactful things that we've done because we've really 
uh, you know, help transform people uh, as, as leaders uh, of these causes and these organizations. I can tell that you have a deep fondness for this. So I, I bet you could share. Do you have one or two favorite stories about a guy or a gal that you worked with and they went on to something that, that just you, you, you always remember? Well, you know, like I guess I think there are, are, are actually many, uh, many people that have gone on to leadership positions. But for me, the biggest accomplishment uh, is that this is a diverse group of leaders. You know, we've really had a focus on uh, diversity, whether that's gender diversity or racial diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, sexual orientation. Uh, we've always had diverse classes of, of leaders. And so we have fed the pipeline uh, so that uh, organizations that are now looking for senior leaders, there is a pipeline of diverse leaders that have had the training and they've had the experience, they've developed the networks that we've helped them develop uh, around the world. So I bet that every day that you wake up and you go to work and you go, oh, my God, what is the, the next great impact that I'm going to do? I can see you're smiling. So, so, so that's a great thing. Let's talk a little bit about pres- preserving um, special places because uh, that's got a huge long impact um, on cities and regions. Yes. So uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, American Express is also one of the world's largest travel companies. And, and people don't think of us in that way. But travel has been an important part of our business for many, many years. And even uh, with the American Express card, uh, people using that for travel uh, has always been a part of the business as well. So uh, many years ago, actually predating the Statue of Liberty project uh, that you mentioned, but uh, really starting with the restoration of the Acropolis uh, in Athens in 1974, uh, we started looking at how could we help preserve historic sites that were iconic tourist destinations um, all over the world uh, to to promote the idea of of travel uh, to those sites. And we started working with uh, the World Monuments Fund uh, and the National Trust for Historic Preservation, started supporting these kinds of of sites. And that activity just mushroomed uh, over the years so that we became in 1995 the founder and sponsor of the World Monuments Fund watch list, which is their list of that comes out every two years about the world's most endangered sites. And then we've supported hundreds of those um, sites and, and helped preserve them. We've worked with the National Trust for Historic Preservation in the United States uh, on a wide variety of projects. And, and I think that one of my other success stories was to, to take to help historic preservation and the idea of historic preservation sort of come into the 21st century uh, by uh, focusing on issues like sustainability. Uh, and, and one of the things that we did was to uh, in, try to engage citizens uh, in historic preservation by uh, opening up the grant making process to the public. So, uh, we were really the first company that had an open process where people could vote on their favorite historic sites, uh, and then we would award grants uh, based on that public vote. We did that through a program called Partners in Preservation, and that 
predated uh, a lot of the other uh, voting platforms that happened out there. Um, and it was a way for us to use technology. So use a technology platform uh, to, sh- to really engage the public uh, in historic sites that were important in their neighborhoods and in their uh, communities uh, and, and really have uh, both a local and a national campaign to support historic sites, parks, you know, other uh, historic places uh, as important, not only icons in communities, but in many cases, hidden gems uh, in communities that people were not uh, aware of. One of the things Amex does so well is you stick with initiatives and you evolve them. And that's a key learning for any organization because the public doesn't, or even if it's even your employees, they don't understand what you're doing until you do it again and again and again. So I know in our prep, you had mentioned you have something really new and exciting coming. So uh, for our listeners, this has probably just been launched. And so Tim's going to talk a little bit about it. You know, one of the uh, the, the major uh, parts of our business uh, has always been uh, support of small businesses. And uh, you mentioned Small Business Saturday. We can talk about Small Business Saturday as something that's been going on now for 12 years. And it's been a successful way of supporting small businesses on the Saturday after Thanksgiving um, every year. But that uh, particular program has morphed into a broader program called Shop Small. And uh, this year, what we're doing is we're focusing some attention as a business on restaurants, uh, because restaurants have been particularly hard hit as a result of the pandemic. Uh, They've had all kinds of restrictions uh, placed on them uh, that are different from community to community. And restaurants are a really critical part of neighborhoods uh, and the quality of life in, in communities. So we have recently... Uh, uh, just launched a program called Dine Small. Uh, and Dine Small is really focused on helping restaurants uh, recover from the pandemic. And as part of that program, uh, we have a new initiative called Takeout Tuesday. Uh, and Takeout Tuesday is re- really uh, designed to encourage people to, to do delivery and takeout on Tuesday uh, evenings for dinner. But as part of that initiative... Uh, we are, are have launched um, a, a, an initiative with the National Trust for Historic Preservation to support legacy restaurants that are in uh, historic neighborhoods and historic uh, communities uh, that have struggled uh, through the pandemic, uh, but who are still around and have been around for many, many years. Uh, and we are going to help them uh, recover from the pandemic by providing them with grants uh, so that they can uh, make improvements uh, to their buildings or their restaurants if they need to, if they need to improve their outdoor seating, if they need to improve their ventilation uh, systems, if they need to improve their uh, reservation uh, or delivery uh, systems, uh, maybe they need to install new lighting, uh, maybe they need to create a new website uh, or uh, market uh, in a different way or improve their technology. So uh, we are uh, hoping to support a number of restaurants around the country. Again, legacy, historic 
restaurants. Uh, we'd like to focus on those that are uh, owned and operated by people of color and women and underrepresented uh, groups as part of our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and so we're quite excited about this initiative because it takes our support of historic preservation, which has also always been about travel uh, and preserving travel destinations to now bring that into uh, communities and help uh, support your community neighborhood uh, restaurant uh, in, in a way that will help them recover from the pandemic and be more sustainable in the future. This is brilliant. Because, and congratulations, because you have taken your core historic commitments to your point about small, about historic places, about diversity and restaurants. I mean, that is your business, a big part of your business. And you've knitted them all together. And I love what you talked about, which is the grants, which sounds like they're unrestricted. And you're saying they need lighting, they need seating, they need website, they need ventilation. And so that is absolutely brilliantly thought, brilliantly architected. So kudos to you. I love it. Well, thanks, Carol. Uh, just to clarify, they're not totally unrestricted uh, in that uh, we are, are trying to ensure that not all the money goes to rent uh, or to payroll. Uh, because there are other uh, other avenues of support for those kinds of things. We're really looking at projects that will help them be more sustainable. That's great. Uh, going forward. Are there favorite neighborhoods that you're saying? Because I know, you know, that might be included or is it all neighborhoods? Well, I, I think that we want to focus on historic neighborhoods, uh, right? So not all neighborhoods, not every strip mall uh, in, in the country, but, uh, you know, places that are really historic places. I would say like Little Havana in Miami, uh, for instance, or Harlem, you know, in, in New York City. So we're, we're looking at, you know, historic neighborhoods, historic restaurants, those that have been, you know, around for uh, many, many years and are really considered, you know, iconic pillars uh, in their communities. That's that's terrific. So so I'm, I'm going to be looking for a lot of news about that. I think, again, it shows the focus and the evolution and the knitting of things together. So that's terrific. Now, let's talk to the cousin of this idea, which is Small Business Saturday and Shop Small. Um, I have watched it for years. Love it. Shop on the day. So can you talk a little a little bit about when it started, shopping small was not an issue. It wasn't a cause. Um, and some very bright people at American Express said, you know, Let's take a look at this. And so curious about how it was hatched, how difficult it was to sell in because you had to create a movement and then some of your favorite parts of it. Well, Small Business Saturday was created during the financial crisis. Uh, and uh, what we were hearing from our small business customers and partners is that they needed customers. Uh, that primary need was how do I get customers into my small uh, business. And uh, at the time, 
Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday were at the height of their uh, powers, uh, if you will. People were, if you remember, frantically going to sales at uh, big box stores uh, and department stores on Black Friday and Cyber Monday uh, was creating uh, all kinds of online um, opportunities. And so we saw an opening, uh, which was the Saturday um, after Thanksgiving, so the day after Black Friday, to create uh, some kind of movement uh, that would encourage people to shop local, shop uh, with their, their local small businesses. And so Small Business Saturday was was birthed, it was created. Um, and uh, it was very easy to sell uh, inside the business. I, I, it was not my idea. It wasn't uh, something came out of my a group. It came out of our communications a group. Uh, and it was a brilliant idea that was uh, embraced immediately by the head of uh, our department, Tom Schick, and sold uh, into the company very, very quickly. I remember uh, the idea sprang up just a few weeks before uh, that Saturday, uh, the, the first year. And so we sprung, sprung into action. And one of the real innovations, two innovations of that uh, particular initiative, one is that we decided right away not to call it the American Express Small Business Saturday. Uh, so we didn't want to have it confined to American Express. We wanted other businesses to join us uh, if they could. Uh, and we uh, wanted to be agnostic about how you paid for things in small businesses. Uh, so we would love it if you used your American Express card. But if you used another form of payment, that was okay too uh, with us because it was all about driving business uh, to, to these small businesses. But as an incentive for people to use their American Express card, we offered that first year a $50 uh, offset. Uh, so that if you uh, spent more than $50 at small businesses, you would get a $50 credit um, on your statement if you use an American Express card. And so that was a very expensive uh, initiative, uh, but it was a very successful initiative because it got people out, it got them shopping, uh, at small businesses, got them using their American Express card. Uh, and now that movement uh, not only is 12 years old uh, in the United States, but it has moved to other countries as well. There's a, a Small Business uh, Saturday in the UK. There's a program in Australia, in Japan, uh, in, in other countries. And it, it really, the idea has been embraced by governments. It's been embraced by other businesses. Uh, it's something that we've continued to be involved with. But as I had mentioned earlier, we've evolved it now to a broader year-round uh, initiative to shop small. And we just, uh, you know, last spring uh, or, or early summer had uh, an initiative uh, that we spent $200 million on as a company to drive business uh, and drive customers to small businesses uh, during the pandemic uh, when they really, again, really needed uh, customers. And our Dine Small program is really about driving customers to restaurants who really need the business. And our Takeout Tuesday program is about driving customers uh, to business, uh, you know, on Tuesday evenings. So 
you know, these efforts uh, are really about driving business uh, to our uh, to our business partners, uh, drive customers uh, that way. Uh, but they also serve a community function because these small businesses are important in neighborhoods and communities. And so we see it not only as a business initiative, but also as a corporate a social responsibility initiative as well. And you, and you smartly bring in other companies. I know that, especially during the pandemic, that your stand for small, that you helped coalesce, what, over 100 companies coming together. And, and you know, a lot of our listeners are like, you know, I want to own it. You know, I don't want to bring others in. But the sophisticated way of having social impact is to, as you said, for the original um, Small Business Saturday, you were agnostic about what card was used. And in fact, you incented, you incented your card, but others could be taken. So how did you get to that philosophy internally that it's okay to partner with others? Well, sometimes it's good to own things and sometimes it's better not to own things. So you know, there are things that we own. The American Express Leadership Academy, you know, we own. It's our program. Our name is on it. Uh, we're proud of that. And it's not to say that we uh, don't partner with other organizations and, and, and companies, but it really it really is ours and, and, and we, we own it. Um, our Partners in Preservation Program, which I mentioned before, was not the American Express Partners in Preservation Program. It had a lot of partners. A Delta was a partner of ours for many, many years in that program. We had Lowe's uh, as a partner uh, one or two years. We had a paint company uh, whose name escapes me in Minnesota that was a partner uh, for a couple of years. And so, you know, we, we always accepted other partners into that program. And I think that for Small Business Saturday uh, or for or for Stanford Small, which you mentioned, it was really, again, the way to su- support these businesses is to, to drive customers there and to get other uh, corporations involved in the effort. So uh, we felt that it was never going to be a movement if it was the American Express Small Business Saturday. Uh, that That's not the way to create a movement. So uh, sometimes good to own things. We like putting our name on things, but sometimes it's not good to own things. Although we, we like founding initiatives, we like to be the founder uh, and like to be identified as the founder. Uh, but, uh, you know, so- sometimes the, the ownership can get in the way of success. Let's take a pause from our conversation with Tim and turn to our in the know section. Since 1997, Fortune Magazine has listed its most admired companies. This list is created by polling more than 3,000 corporate executives, directors, and analysts. In this year, that number was over 3,800. For so many years, the Fortune Most Admired list was at the top of reputation. When we would talk to clients, I want us to be on that list. I want us to move up higher on that list. Now there are many other lists, but this one has kept its prominence because it has been consistent for over 24 years. After a year in which humanity leaned more heavily than ever on tech giants to connect, entertain, 
and even feed us in a time of isolation. It's fitting that Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft hold the top three spots in Fortune's ranking of corporate reputation. Apple, certainly the premier personal tech provider, tops the roster for the 14th year in a row based on the poll that was taken with these executives, directors, and analysts. A fascinating part of the Fortune Most Admired is a short list of the most overrated and underrated executives leading companies. I was fascinated to read because I'm a big fan of Satya Nardella, who is the CEO of Microsoft, that for the fifth year in a row, he has been named the most underrated CEO in that list. And why? Well, we're going to be doing um, an upcoming interview with Kate Benkin, who is head of Microsoft Philanthropies, um, in a few weeks. So please tune in for that episode. But one of the things I will tell you about Satya, and his book is just fantastic. He is humble, and he leads with empathy. And one of the significant changes that he has made in Microsoft to get that stock roaring again and the company just innovating all over the place is that he has helped to evolve the culture from a culture of know-it-alls to a culture of learn-it-alls. Elsewhere on the all-stars list, companies that became even more essential during the pandemic were among the biggest movers up in the list. Streaming juggernaut Netflix returned to the top 10. Big Box Walmart number 11, Target number 17, earned the highest ranking since 2011 and 2008, respectively. American Express continued to hold its top ranking at number 20. So let's turn back to our conversation with Tim to hear more about the depth of their work with their colleagues, with their customers, and their communities. So, so Tim, I know that you have a deep commitment to preservation and communities, but you also have a deep commitment to sustainability. So can you talk a bit about those efforts? For many years now, uh, we've been focused on uh, being a more environmentally friendly company. Uh, and uh, you do that by looking at your operations uh, as a business and uh, what your impact is on the environment. So one of the things that we've been working on for a number of years is reducing our carbon emissions uh, as a company. Uh, we've had uh, publicly stated goals for uh, reducing our emissions, and we are now a carbon neutral uh, company. So all of our uh, operations are powered by renewable uh, energy. And uh, I think we've been done a tremendous job uh, working with our business units and our real estate managers and our colleagues in, in making that happen. And we've had a real, real absolute reduction uh, in our admissions as well as uh, turning to renewable energy. But we've also focused on a waste reduction, paper uh, reduction. Uh, we don't use nearly as much paper uh, as we used to. And all the paper that we use is from certified uh, managed forests. 
uh, around the world. Uh, we don't near, use nearly as much uh, water uh, as we used to. Uh, we've, we've significantly reduced our waste um, as well. And some of that just comes from very simple things that we did. So, uh, we, for instance, we removed uh, printers from people's offices. People uh, were surprised about that at first, but but forcing people to go to a centralized printer uh, and then by default, um, having them print on both sides of a page rather than one side significantly reduced the amount of paper uh, that was being uh, used in the company. So uh, we took some little steps. We took some big steps uh, as a company to uh, to reduce our impact um, on the environment. But now we're you know looking at how uh, we can create products and services uh, that are also uh, more environmentally uh, friendly. And so how can we, for instance, you know, help our customers uh, track their own carbon uh, footprints or reduce their own um, carbon footprints. We, you know, reintroduced our green card uh, last year. It is a green card. Uh, so when we did that, we made a commitment to reduce our use of single-use plastic uh, around the world. And we took single-use plastic out of our lounges and out of our offices um, and so those are also simple steps. You get rid of, uh, you know, straws, plastic straws and stirrers. Uh, you change to paper cups instead of, you know, foam cups. And all of these things, you know, make a huge impact uh, on the environment. So I think we've tried to integrate sustainability uh, into our operations. And in fact, from an ESG perspective, so from an environmental, social and governance perspective, we have developed three themes for our operations uh, that we're focused on for the next you know, few years. One of them is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we've made some significant uh, commitments around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have another theme that's focused on advancing climate uh, solutions. And then the third theme around uh, promoting the idea of financial confidence or financial resiliency. And those themes are, are starting to coalesce uh, around uh, a lot of the work that we do as a company. So we, we take uh, climate change uh, and climate solutions very seriously uh, in our company, uh, and we want to do our part. And I think we've been uh, pretty successful so far, but we still have uh, work to be done. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear some of, uh, more about your DEI efforts. So we made a commitment uh, a few months ago, a billion dollar commitment uh, toward uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, some of that commitment was, was directed at our colleagues. Uh, so we committed to 100% pay uh, equity across our uh, businesses globally uh, and have achieved that 100% uh, you know, pay equity. Uh, we made commitments to how we, uh, we recruit, uh, promote, retain uh, our employees uh, we made commitments to our communities. Uh, so, for instance, from a philanthropic standpoint, we've committed uh, $50 million over the next uh, five years to supporting organizations led by people of color. Uh, so we want to take some of our philanthropic support and then ensure that it's not going just to, to majority-run organizations, but 
I want to make sure that some of it, uh, about 25% of it, uh, is going toward uh, you know, organizations run by people of color. Uh, we also have committed to, to even doubling down even more on our leadership academy participants and ensuring right now we have a, about over 50% of them that are people of color. We're going to uh, move that needle to about 75% uh, over the next four years. Uh, and we've made uh, a number of commitments uh, centered around uh, the purchasing power that we have as a company. So our suppliers, you know, we spend a lot of money uh, as a company. We're a big company. Uh, we're, we've committed to substantially increase uh, the amount of our spending uh, that goes toward uh, businesses that are um, minority-owned or women-owned uh, businesses. And we also have uh, done a lot to, uh, again, support small businesses. So one of the other initiatives we created this past year was an initiative with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation and the four National Black Chamber organizations. So there are four National Black Chambers uh, that operate in the country. Uh, they have have never uh, had a coalition uh, and worked together. And we uh, created an opportunity for them to work together with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation to support uh, Black-owned small businesses. So we, co we committed $10 million to uh, support those uh, small Black-owned uh, businesses uh, through this coalition. Uh, we also committed to providing mentorships uh, with those businesses and leadership development for the leaders of the Black Chamber uh, organizations, which are nonprofit uh, organizations. And uh, again, we didn't own that program. We didn't put our name on it. Uh, it's the Coalition to Back Black-Owned Businesses. And uh, we now have a number of other companies who have joined us as partners uh, to increase the pool of money that's available for those uh, Black-owned uh, small businesses. So you, you are so thorough in terms of, you know, you just don't do one thing or two things or three things. And they're thoughtful. Well, that's what makes American Express such a great place to work, uh, is that there is a collaborative, creative, uh, innovative spirit. I'm there and uh, it's it's you know easy to create initiatives and programs and we try to do them uh, in a thoughtful uh, way and try to involve as, as many people as we can uh, in, in the efforts uh, but we look at you know needs that are out there in in communities and how can we help address those needs in a creative, a fashion, uh, in some cases, as a way to differentiate ourselves from uh, other companies, but in other cases, as a way to join uh, with other companies in doing it. You know, I think you're underrated in terms of, you know, everybody talks about gold standard, integrated ESG actions in the business. And there's a, it's an interesting, there's a humility, but you're not humble. You're doing great work. We don't toot our own horn very much. Uh, I, I have to say, I think we don't do advertising uh, around our uh, ESG or CSR uh, work, unlike uh, some companies. And, you know, while we do uh, want to be recognized uh, for what we do and acknowledged for what we do, all of these efforts are done in partnership with nonprofit uh, organizations. I mean, I, I, there isn't one of those initiatives that I mentioned that hasn't had 
uh, nonprofit partners. Uh, and these are real partnerships. These are programs that we develop together. We manage them together. We are, are jointly accountable uh, for results. And so uh, we like working with nonprofit partners. Uh, and that gives us a different perspective. It, it increases uh, that the, the number of people and the resources that are available. And so, you know, we take this idea of partnership uh, very, very seriously, both as a business, you know, and as part of our corporate social responsibility program. You always write a predictions blog and um, you wrote one for 21. And you, you mentioned that um, virtual volunteerism has finally perhaps, you know, hit the ground and, it, and it's been, it, it's gotten credibility. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that truly is, you know, was a challenge and it's still a challenge during COVID. So can you talk a little bit about why virtual volunteerism is finally making its mark? Well, a lot of it is because of the pandemic, right? So people are at home, uh, working from home, uh, or they're working remotely, and there aren't as many people in offices or in physical uh, locations. So unfortunately, traditional kinds of volunteering, uh, cleaning up parks, working in soup kitchens, uh, working in food banks, whatever, uh, those kinds of efforts have, have suffered, uh, really, unfortunately, uh, during, uh, during this pandemic. Uh, but our colleagues, we have 65,000 colleagues around the world or thereabouts, and uh, they're committed uh, to their communities. And so while we can't have them out cleaning up beaches uh, or cleaning up parks or working in food banks, uh, we can find ways of them to use their business skills in supporting uh, nonprofit organizations. So for for many, many years, and this is I think one of our other innovative programs uh, that have been created in the last few years, we created a consulting business uh, called Serve Together Consulting. And that consulting business was was set up just like a regular consulting business. I would like to, a couple more questions. I could I could chat with you forever. Um, measurement. You know, you're doing such great things. And, and the question is, is that what do you do to measure and how important is it to evolving these initiatives? Well, there are two ways that we measure uh, our success. Uh, one way is that in our normal grant making process or our volunteer programs or our consulting programs, each one of those uh, has a set of objectives uh, and measurable objectives before we go in to every single grant or activity uh, that, that we have. So every organization that applies for a grant has to have uh, outcomes uh, that are measurable uh, and they have to tell us what they are uh, during the application process. And then they have to give us interim reports and final reports on whether they achieved those objectives uh, or not. And we uh, rate every single grant uh, or activity we, we engage in on that kind of scale. And then we track that uh, and report on that to our uh, trustees. Uh, not only we report on it two ways, one at the end of each year, but we also report on it every time we go to make a grant to an organization that's received a grant before us, we tell them what the rating was on the previous grant uh, that we gave them so that we're able to determine whether this is the kind of organization we want to continue to support. So that's, that's one way. The other way is that every one of the initiatives that we've talked about 
And today, whether it's the Leadership Academy or the consulting program or Partners of Preservation, uh, they have objectives uh, that uh, we have and outcomes uh, that we establish before we create and launch the initiative. So we know what it is that we want to achieve and how we're going to measure whether we've uh, achieved those results or not. And then we report um, on that. I'm just curious about Small Business Saturday and Shop Small. Are there also any use of card objectives added to that? So you've got both the social and the business objectives working together? Yeah, not not only are there use of card uh, objectives, but there's just overall business increase objectives. So we we are able to track uh, through uh, the National Retail uh, Association and and other partners uh, what the increase of business uh, is on Small Business Saturday. We know going back for the next uh, last 12 years how much increased business uh, is generated uh, on those days. Uh, and uh, with all of our activity uh, in, in this uh, arena, we know what our objectives are going in, both from a business perspective and from a community perspective. That's very smart. So I hate to, to bring this to a close, but we always like to end our conversations with what key three insights would you like to share with your colleagues? And, and colleagues, I mean, someone who doesn't have the, fifth, the 15 years at Amex like Tim or the years at, at AT&T, they're kind of middle in their career. They're involved in, you know, uh, CSR. They're trying to refine or evolve a purpose or they're a student or they're a career changer. There's so much interest in wanting to bring your values to work, grow a business and impact society. So I'm sure you could give a hundred insights, but you know, what three might you like, you like to leave our listeners with? Well, the first one would be to be authentic uh, because none of these programs work unless they're authentic to your business. It has to be something that uh, can generate interest inside your business, generate support, generate advocacy. And in order for that to happen, it really has to be authentic to your business. It has to be connected to your business objectives, uh, to your markets, uh, to your partners. So it has to be something that resonates with people. And I think that you'll, you know, you've seen that all of the initiatives that we launch really resonate uh, with our people. Uh, and that's how you generate support. Uh, inside your company and, and and how that support then translates out outside your company. The second thing is you got to pay attention to your employees, uh, to, to your colleagues. Uh, they are your ambassadors uh, in the community. They are the your arms and legs and uh, boots on the ground. Uh, none of this work happens uh, without the involvement of employees, whether it's volunteer work or their own, you know, their own work. Uh, inside the company, but none of our environmental goals would have been reached without our employees. Uh, Many of our community goals would not be reached without our employees. You know, they want to be involved in their communities uh, and they are your primary stakeholder in corporate social responsibility. I mean, people think, well, maybe it's your customer, maybe it's regulators or the media or, or nonprofit organizations. But I, I think it's your, your colleagues, your employees who are your primary stakeholder because they're the ones to help you get work done. And then the third thing uh, is to be transparent. 
again, none of this works unless you are open and honest and transparent uh, with your communities, with your customers, with your colleagues. Uh, they have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, how you're measuring it. Uh, you know, we are in a world that there are no secrets. Uh, don't even attempt uh, to keep things a secret. It doesn't make any sense uh, because your your power comes from sharing uh, this information and sharing, you know, both internally and externally. So I, I think disclosing uh, information uh, internally and externally and being uh, transparent is uh, not only critically important today, but it's going to become even more important in the future. This has been a fabulous conversation, and I so appreciate it. And I love that you said your power comes from sharing information. Because we see today that, you know, you are such a, a role model. You're going you're gonna to go into my pantheon of, of gold standard practices. And so I will be out there. Now that I have greater, you know, closeness and intimacy to what you're doing, I, I will be promoting you a lot. Um, but a lot of, you know, leaders don't want to share it. And they don't. And then it's also it's like transparency by design. So, um, you know, it's so exciting about you and me. We've met and known each other for years. You are as excited today as when I first met you. Um, you have a tremendous amount of accolades that you probably haven't gotten them, but I'm going to give you lots of them. Uh, you've you've just accomplished so much. And um, again, Tim, thank you for your time. And I just want to ask our listeners today. What is your purpose? 